I would invite you all to stand up. So conveniently, we have an old hymn that in, encapsulates our parable today perfectly. So we're going to learn that if you don't know it. We're sing it together if you do know it. So just embrace the, uh, the fun here. And uh, you'll have to do the lyrics, right? You guys know this one? upon the rock the wise man built his house upon the rock and the rains came tumbling down the rains came down and the floods came up the rains came down and the floods came up the rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the rock stood firm okay here's the other part the foolish man built his house upon the sand. Don't be like him. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. And the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down. Came up and the house on the bed went crash. Give it up for yourselves, and you all can have a seat. Thank you, Miss Alicia. All right, that was awesome. Great work. All right, well, welcome again, Tallgrass at the Well. We are in a series, Parable of Jesus, and uh, here on on the Fourth of July weekend. Today's July third. I was reminded uh, that our country's foundation was laid 246 years ago. So our 250th birthday uh, as a country is coming up in four years. So we got to get ready to really, really celebrate. So there's a uh, quote. uh, So we just sang that song. Cute. You guys did great. You had smiles on your faces. But really, the message of the song is a little bit rough. Like if you're foolish, your life could go crash, crash and burn. So Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes is a great book by Kenneth Bailey, and he says this about that song and the parable we're in. This song has contributed to the ingrained assumption in the subconscious of many English-speaking Christians that this parable is a folkloric children's story. But dynamite comes in small packages, and in context, this parable creates powerful meaning. So I got a bag here of these, right? And so this is tiny, but... Watch how, clo- how fast it clears out the front row. <laughs> Guys, you called my bluff. You called my bluff. Good job. But you get the point, though. You get the point. Um, and I, I would love to hear some of the reflections on that third bonus question, fireworks stories. I'd love to hear all the, the stuff that's gone, gone down with these small little packages that create quite an explosion. And that's what the parables are. Uh, Jesus goes out and he delivers these stories. Uh, Many people say of the scriptures, you know, the the Bible is easy enough for children to understand and wade in, yet complex and deep enough to drown an elephant and baffle scholars forever. And both are true. So it's accessible, but yet it's complex 
and deep, and we can always go deeper. So we're going to be in Matthew 7, uh, the parable of the two builders, and I would invite you to turn there if you'd like. Let me see if I can get this going. Okay. Um, And I'll have the words up here as well. So, all right, here's Jesus' words to his audience back then and there and for us today, here and now. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose. I have to use, I, I didn't use this earlier in that song, but I asked Maris if I had my rain stick because I just thought crossing me. So the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, he, on the other hand, is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thanks for the time of worship through song and uh, the the mingling, meeting new people, catching up with old friends, Um, even reflecting on childhood song for many who grew up in the church and maybe brand new for some who've never been in church and they're like, that's so cheesy. I don't even know why I'm here. We invite every one of us to lean in We want to gather around and listen to Jesus. We want to dig down deep to the rock and build, or maybe for some of us, rebuild our lives on the rock that is Jesus. Amen. So there's a great book about how to read the Bible. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. And uh, in their chapter on the parables, it gives us really helpful, basic stuff to help us navigate parables. And actually, the parable today on one hand, is, is pretty simple to understand, hard to apply, like a lot of Jesus' teachings. But they say that the task of interpretation is a combo of three things when it comes to parables. Sit and listen to the parable again and again. Repetition, you know, and that's why being in our scriptures daily is a, is a good idea. I imagine after Jesus told these stories, the word would go, they'd be like, did you hear what Jesus told? And they would talk about it, retell it, ponder it, sit in and under the text, the story. And then second, identify the points of reference intended by Jesus that would have been picked up by the original hearers. This is where it becomes hard for us because most of us are not Middle Easterners from the first century. Uh, None of us are, right? And so there's all sorts of distance that we have culturally, by time, all these things, language, so we have to go, that's why we have, that's why we preach and teach and have commentaries to try to understand the original intention of the, the author to the audience back then and there. Uh, quick story, I, I was in Germany once with the brass quintet. It was a really cool time. So we're there, the top brass ensemble from Russia was there. We were not the top ensemble from the U.S., just no mistake about that. And then there were a bunch of Germans. So we had this great meal together and everyone thought they would tell jokes And so you would have to wait, you know, someone would tell a joke in German and there'd be laughter amongst the Germans and they have to translate to the Russians. The laughter would die down. It's fine. Like, I kind of get it. Translate it to me. And it's like, that's not funny. I'm sorry. (laughs) And then all the way around. But it it was a good uh, illustration though. Like these parables would have hit that original audience with their Jewishness, 
or their Romanist, Greco-Romanist, their, uh, their Old Testament background, it would have hit them immediately, like the punchline of a joke. Like, you know, when I told you that story and you all laughed, thank you very much. You understood it. It hit you. So we got to determine uh, those original references. And then we determine how the original hearers would have identified with the story, so what they would have heard. Um, so we're, we're looking for the intended meaning and application back then and there. And then our task is to apply it here and now, 21st century, middle of America, um, right now. How, how are we to respond? These parables always call for response. So just a little, this is, these are some long quotes, but I think it, it, it's kind of intuitive, but it's worth just walking through. So in the modern Western world, person who wants to build a house, what do you do? You hire a backhoe, you dig the foundation. Concrete for the foundation is delivered in a cement truck conveniently, although it's hard to get cement trucks to show up these days. Like, I'm, I'm also work for Habitat for Humanity, and it's pulling teeth to get construction moving. I think a lot of people in the industry feel that. But typically, it's delivered quite easily. Concrete blocks lowered into the foundation with power equipment. Lumber and all building materials delivered with, and unloaded with ease. Plaster comes in sheets, roofing in bundles, which are power lifted onto the roof. You know how this goes. The trusses are factory made to specification, are delivered and unloaded with power equipment. Um, am I right, Ryan? Is this how it works? Okay. In spite of all this, building a house is still a strenuous task, still uh, stressful, especially, and this is my, my uh, italics, with the cost of material and labor these days. By contrast, however, The time and energy required to build a house in ancient times was beyond anything builders in developed countries have experienced for centuries. Enormous effort was required to build a house in the ancient world uh, was more perfectly understood by Ibn al-Tayyib. Now, he's an influential biblical commentator who wrote in Arabic. So it's, it's pretty good to, to read someone who's from the culture, right? Um, and he began his reflections on this parable saying... Every Christian knows that building a house is not an easy endeavor. Rather, it involves exhausting and frightening efforts, strenuous hardships, along with continuous and life-threatening struggles. So they're building their house on their own, right? So it would make sense, like, you need shelter. I mean, you're in the middle of the Middle East. Uh, there's, I don't think the police force was quite as good as our police force today. Thank you to our officers and so it was a different situation. So it would make sense that you would not quite find the rock and you would maybe just throw up a building on sand, rely on that. Kenneth Bailey goes on, in the Holy Land, solid rock lies everywhere, just beneath the soil. So if the builder plans a house in a valley, the earth and rubble, it could be 10 or more feet deep. And Kenneth Bailey, in his research, has asked numerous village builders about the depth they must excavate to construct a stone house. The answer is always the same. They tell me they must dig down to the rock. That is always the depth that you dig, down to the rock. So their building in the Middle East is a little different than ours here in modern days, but the idea is the same. If the foundation is not firm, secure, solid, the rest is going to fall apart. And we experience that. You know, we drive through our neighborhoods where um, dare I say, slumlords have slapped, gussied up turds around in the neighborhoods. The foundations are broken and they're renting it, making all they can. And that's unsafe. That's not good stewardship. Th those buildings need to be torn down, rebuilt, 
with a firm foundation. Or yeah, maybe you, uh, you like putting up uh, ceiling fans and, and blinds and all these things in your house, yet you have a crack in the foundation and the house is splitting in two, but you wanna close a blind eye to that. I know that from some firsthand experience. So a couple other translations I found interesting of this, this parable. Um, this, is, this is just verse uh, 24 in a new translation called First Nations Version. So this is an, an indigenous translation of the New Testament. It's, it's really fun to read, actually. So if you think of native people in our uh, country, so this is how they translate it. The ones who listen to me and walk in my ways are like a wise man who built a grand lodge on solid ground. So the, the imagery should evoke security, stability, whatever that is in your culture. We want to get that. We want to build deep. Or in the message, uh, a paraphrase by uh, the late Eugene Peterson, he says, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. As so many of us can treat the Christian life or like self-help, you know, the idea of like, if I read a verse a day, I keep the devil away. Or if I, uh, I wear a couple t-shirts that have nice phrases or just try to uh, behavior modify just a little bit. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He says they are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart, car- car- smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. And then finally, um, if we look at this, um, let's see here. Oh, yeah. In Luke, there's, there's a couple extra phrases that I like um, that are here. He says, they're like a man building a house who dug down deep, dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. Okay, pretty simple, simple parable. Probably got it. Pro- and actually, if you have your action point from here, just start thinking about how you're going to execute that. Maybe the Spirit's already prompting you. That's great. But we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this, into, into Jesus' words and what his audience would have been hearing and thinking. So there's a parallel parable in the book of Isaiah. And as we've said before, you know, when Jesus is talking, especially a lot of times his audience are these Pharisees or these Sadducees, these religious leaders who knew the Torah, knew the scriptures inside and out. So a lot of times his parables are directed right at them, yet with application for everyone. So surely his audience would have had Isaiah 24, verse 14, ringing in their ears, as Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It says, Isaiah says, therefore hear the word of the Lord, you scoffers who rule this people in Jerusalem. So Isaiah's language is even more uh, strenuous than Jesus. So as Isaiah is writing this, their, their issue at the time was the Assyrian army was fast approaching Israel. And Israel is scared. So instead of looking to the rock that is God for refuge, they are making agreements with Egypt. Dun, dun, dun. Every time that shows up, something's going wrong. Yet God's heart is for Egypt. But... Uh, so they were building their future on a covenant with, e- with Egypt. So let's see what, 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 how this goes. So Isaiah says, You boast that we have entered into a covenant with death, with the realm of the dead we have made an agreement. 
When an overwhelming scourge sweeps by, it cannot touch us. We're safe because of our military arrangements. That's what's going on there uh, in Israel at the time. And you'll see, I've arranged this. It's a chiastic-type structure that drives to the main point, is right in the center. It goes on, we have made a lie our refuge and falsehood our hiding place. So their foundation is is fundamentally cracked and flawed. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. So it's interesting. We pour our foundation, but God places a rock that is our foundation. It says the one who relies on it, on this rock, this precious cornerstone, will never be stricken with panic. And again, these are people that are not just trying to make sure they go to heaven when they die. They have the Assyrian army coming at them. So they're really trying to understand how to walk with God in the midst of this earth. And they're, they're building on a shaky foundation. It says, I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Hail will sweep away your refuge, the lie, and water will overflow your hiding place. Finally, your covenant with death will be annulled. Your agreement with the realm of the dead will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge sweeps by, you'll be beaten down by it. Right? That's the messaging. Your, your, your agreements... The, the way you're trying to build your foundation, it is going to crash and fall. And this is a corporate crashing and falling, and Jesus' words also apply to us individually. So like Isaiah, and this is uh, from uh, Kenneth Bailey's book. I don't have the quote up there. Jesus, when he's given this parable, he's kind of refreshing and, and pulling off this Old Testament Isaiah parable, and he gives this parable. He knew a great storm was also coming to Israel in the form of the zealot nationalists who were gathering strength and they were cut off from reality. They thought that they could fight Rome and win. So that the the zealots and their nationalism, they thought they could fight Rome and win and Jesus foresaw disaster and he knew they would fail. And the glorious house um, was built as a dwelling for God would be destroyed by a great storm of war with Roman forces. So the temple, right? The temple was the center. That was where the presence of God showed up, the Holy of Holies, where that precious cornerstone was. But as in the case with Isaiah, all was not lost. Jesus offered himself in his words as a new foundation on which a new temple was already built and thereby affirmed that God's presence was among them in that temple, which was his body. And just like the temple that the Romans destroyed, not a stone will remain on top of a stone, it was utterly destroyed. Jesus, uh, shockingly, to all of his followers in the watching world, his body was completely destroyed to be rebuilt to offer us a firm foundation, his body, the temple, and we, his body, the temple of Christ. So it feels to me like in a lot of the conversation I hear, we talk about any source of media you open, is, it's all about the storms, the challenges that our society and culture have been engulfed in these last several years. And they're not going away. 
I mean, we watch the weather forecast and it's like, it's going to be in the 90s until October. And you're like, wow, this is not going away. Or the tornado that hit and it just wreaked havoc. And then several days later, remember that wind and rain that wreaked havoc. The storms continue to come. The storms are, are beating against the house, against the foundation. So it's a good time to think about, are you building your life on rock or sand? Are we, as a church, just as people, um, are we building on rock or on sand? What is going into that foundation of yours, into our foundation? Some of you may love this next part of this teaching. Some of you may hate it, and that's okay. Um, Embrace it nonetheless. I would like to uh, encourage us to take a media audit together. Now, we're not going to share with one another how much time we're investing in this specific thing or that thing, but maybe you can... Uh, use this as an impetus to consider the inputs into your foundational worldview, foundational perspective, and where do you need to uproot some of that to make way for Christ and his words. So the first media source, let's think about social media. And who, who looked for their, like, their favorite social media app where you have the most followers and you're like, wow, that's cool. Or who's looking around like, I don't even know what that is, you know? <laughs> Like, I still don't know what this one is. What is that? Right there. Anyone know? Say it loud. This is LinkedIn, right? Is that? It's MySpace. All right. Hey, that, that's enough right there. Yeah. Uh, I noticed Zanga's not on here, but uh, yeah. So, so maybe just think, and, and maybe you're one of those that uh, isn't on any social media. Hats off to you. You're good. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You're, you know... But lest you beware, there may be something else out there, right? Um, so I've, I've learned uh, recently my daughter grabbed my phone and just downloaded Locket on there. So now I guess I'm one of the cool kids. So who else has Locket? Okay, it's kind of fun. There's several that are not on there that could be considered social media that could consume our time. These things aren't all bad, right? They, there's value in technology and tools, um, but... Is, is, is it forming our foundation, right? That's the question. So to think about, where's the Bible in your hours of consumption? Um, I, I talk with a lot of people, myself included, I just don't have time for that. Okay, let's take an audit of our media. Um, I'm sure back in the day, uh, you know, there was their own versions of social media. I, I, I heard about Pharisees Feed, Zealot Zinger, those were some of the original. It's a, it's a joke. Okay. <laughs> Let's think about our streaming services. Consumption. You're looking for, you're like, oh, I got to catch up on Stranger Things, right? Um, all this right here, and there's, there's others as well, represents a lot of our time potentially being consumed, Right? Not to mention Sadducees Plus. I'm sure they had their own forms, uh, the Roman times, whatever. So where is, where does this fit in? Where's, where's the Bible? Where's the scriptures, God, Christ's words in your streaming service time? To raise the heat just slightly, what about the media or news? 
So this right here is called the Media Bias Chart from a company called Ad Fontes. So when this pops up, who immediately looked for your favorite news, your favorite news feed? And then you're starting to think like, how is this landed? Like, what's the bias behind this? So this shows left to right, all the different, not all of them, but media outlets in this font's too small, but goes from, you know, non-factual up to pretty, you know, reliable, all of this stuff. So who's immediately becoming cynical and skeptical and suspicious about the, the bias of this source? Or who's becoming cynical, skeptical, suspicious about the bias of the one presenting this in a sermon on a Sunday? Who's like, can you zoom in a little bit more? I can't even see what's going on. Okay, we'll zoom in a little. <laughs> By the way, if your uh, favorite news source just got cut off, let's talk about that. It's, it's like <laughs> some extremes there. So ad fontis, uh, it's a Latin word. That's the company that does this. It's, it means to the source because they rate news, analyzing source, it's actual content. They try to be rigorous, all these things to, to present, you know, I'm sure there's a bias there, who knows? I mean, there's a bias in all reporting. But they view it as a, a public benefit to help news consumers be smarter and news media better. And they say on their website, currently we face a crisis of too much junk news. And they say junk news is like junk food. Just like junk food has caused massive health epidemics in our country, junk news is causing massive polarization epidemic. And so, of course, we need to replace junk food for that which sustains and nourishes and brings about human flourishing. So I have no comments this morning on all of these sources. My question is, what about this news source? where we hear the good news, right? The Holy Bible. And, and by the way, this, it's not on this spectrum. It's, it's over and above or far beneath, right? This is transcendent, the word of God. Where does that fit on your consumption of news? The Bible contains good news. It, it truly takes us to the source. In John 7, uh, Jesus, reflecting on himself, he says, uh-oh, there we go. Let anyone who is thirsty, this is John 7, 37. Let anyone who is thirsty or malnourished or been consuming junk food come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from them. So different analogy than our parable of the two builders. This is the analogy of a river flowing from us because we're connected to the source. So in Ad Fontes, they, they have a statement in there where they say, after their comments on junk food, we are optimistic that together we can rise to this challenge. In fact, it's imperative we do. And a problem this big requires a multi-pronged solution and participation from all the stakeholders in good journalism. That's probably true. But a good place to start for us who say we follow Christ, or even if you don't yet follow Christ and you're here for some other reason or you have questions or you're just curious or, you're, or you need community, like we can invest in the scriptures, in the source of life, Christ himself. So let's move towards 
some, some key responses to this parable of the two builders. So it says, Jesus, when he had finished saying these things, this is the, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he wraps up with this parable. The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who actually had authority and not as teachers of the law. So Jesus, uh, the Son of God, taught with authority. He was a teacher of wisdom. And wisdom literature um, tends to speak in these polarities. So like if you read Psalm 1, it's like, um, blessed are the, oh, wait, what is it? Help me out here. The one who stands in the way of sinners, like you're either over there or you're over here planted by uh, the tree or the, the, the water. In this case, you're either a wise builder building on rock or you're a complete fool, right? It's very polarizing. Like, who fits in either of those categories totally? No one. No one does. Jesus knew this. This is wisdom literature creates these polarities and shows us the absolute true way to live or the completely false way. There's all these contrasts, the righteous versus the wicked, the wise versus the foolish. And Jesus understood that. You read the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, the narratives, and we get all of these complex characters who are vacillating. I like to think of it like giraffes in ice skates in an ice rink. Like that's, we vacillate from the wise to the foolish, right? No one is perfectly wise except for one, Jesus. So he himself lived that perfectly wise path, perfectly building his foundation so that we can begin to follow in his footsteps. So the intention of his words is not that we would hang our head in shame and like, I'm a fool, I guess I'll go home, a fool. No, it's to hear his words and respond, continue to grow, continue to deepen, uh, to become the wise who builds on the foundation. So a few responses here. The first I would share is we need to assess the storm damage. Um, I know his parable talks about building first and then storms come. But anyone who's hearing my words now or online or in the future is already being assailed by storms. And you may have more on the way. So we need to assess and clean up that storm damage. Uh, we talk a lot of, around here about how so many people are deconstructing in some ways. Um, there's a difference between demoing, completely demolishing, and deconstructing, which is a little more intentional. Or here we're talking about storms that are just assailing the structure. But in all three of those cases, we need to reconstruct, rebuild, right? We assess the damage. Yeah, it's been rough. Uh, we, we think back, though, on church history. And when has there been a time when it has not been rough to be a human trying to follow Jesus Christ? I was thinking uh, recently as I was preparing this in that, that passage about in First Peter about the chosen stone. Peter is writing to a church who is being persecuted by Nero in Rome. Talk about fodder for deconstruction of faith. There, I mean, when you're looking at that, there's, there's always some, something assaulting our faith, right? So we need to assess that and then begin to rebuild so question for you, how are you learning from yesterday's storms and preparing today for the storms of tomorrow? We need to take stock, right, and learn because the storms are coming and we all know that they are. 
because we're human on planet Earth. And then second, dig down deep to the rock. The rock is Jesus himself and responding to Jesus and his words. And I would encourage you, if you're, if you're here and you don't even believe in God, that's fine. We welcome you. We, we, that's one of the reasons we planted Tallgrass Church a long time ago. I know the well planted and we're merging. We want to be a space for you to ask those questions. Or maybe you once believed and you're no longer questioning, right? That's okay. I would encourage you, cry out to God. Keep trying attempts at prayer. What's the worst that could happen? Nothing, and then you just go on your day and you've not lost anything. But what's the best thing that could happen? You come into interaction with the living God. And he begins to work, maybe slower in your life than you wanted, but begins to work in your life. So dig down deep. And we're going to read uh, the passage in 1 Peter 2 that was referenced in Isaiah. So it says, in, um, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, he's rejected by humans, he's chosen by God, he's precious to him. You also, you like living stones, are being built together in a spiritual, into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's a lot going on there. Verse 6, for in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Peter writing to those persecuted Christians under Nero. And a chapter later he says, be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have. So that's a message that we need. Christians, uh, for Jesus followers, be ready to give a reason for hope. No matter what you're facing, no matter what storms come your way. It says, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. To those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Let's skip that one real quick. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Maybe this week, just take that verse and go sit with it with Christ himself and just let him speak to you about who you are and who, how he wants to root you in himself. So that's number two, dig down deep to the rock. And then of course, build on the rock. And so, uh, one of the ways you can build on the rock, I think, is engaging in the scriptures. Um, I'm sure that many of us in here could take a step uh, in, in reading and engaging, studying, enjoying the scriptures. I think reading the scriptures is kind of an acquired taste. Sometimes you come to faith and initially you're very excited and you want to consume it all, but then as life goes on, it becomes kind of more difficult. And I would love for this to be uh, a corporate thing. So there... At the beginning of 2021, yes, about 40 of us uh, started a Bible reading plan. Read the whole Bible under two years. Anyone in here still doing that reading plan? Okay. Jenny, if did you drop off the train there? Oh, you raised your hand. Okay. Sweet. Okay. Um, I know there, there are some who are still going. So that's been, that's been good for me. And I'm going to play catch up. So if you're sitting there hanging your head in shame, you're like, oh man, I'm so far behind. I need to just start over. Say, well, Pastor Ben, he's behind by three months. So it's probably okay. Okay. 
It's all right, Chuck. No, you're good. You're good. Just take your time. The point is engage in the scriptures. So I would encourage you, think through possibly over the next 130 days. Make a plan. Engage in the scriptures. And then maybe together at the beginning of 2023, we can read something together, a Bible reading plan, when Jenny and I finish up on this one, right? Um, So I would really encourage you, think about that. Even a small step. The Bible um, app, version, all sorts of great reading plans, a very helpful um, uh, tool for us. So after you begin building on the rock, of course, we want to be about neighboring, helping our neighbors, right? When we first uh, merged or began the conversation, Tallgrass at the Well, Josh, Pastor Josh had shared the idea of who's your one? Who's that, that person that God has placed on your heart and mind? Um, because yes, we need to tend to ourselves and if we're gonna love our neighbor as ourselves, we have to love ourselves as well and love God with all our heart, strength, and soul. But there are people out there who, whose foundation maybe is not as secure as yours, who are building on sand, who need help, and we can be that place that, to help neighbor, a neighbor and engage uh, our friends and family and neighbors. So I'm gonna invite up the worship team and also Maris. Um, I asked uh, Crystal Oglesby to share some of her testimony of building on the rock recently. Um, So I asked Crystal Oglesby, and and many of you know Crystal and know the the journey she's been on, especially with cancer recently. I asked her to write because she's a great writer, and she's been writing more recently. Um, In fact, you can go to her website and read her her journey. There's all sorts of resources but she's also camping with her husband, Dylan, this weekend, so they're not here in person, which is great. I'm thankful they're doing something fun. On her Instagram account, uh, it says, Crystal is a middle school teacher, thyroid cancer fighter, miscarriage survivor, mama to fur babies, and adventurer at heart. So I've asked uh, Maris to go ahead and read her her, uh, testimony for us. And you can click through the slides, Ian, when we do this. Crystal. Did, pull it up. Uh, can you say that again? Jump right into it. Henry, can you get her on there? Got it. I hear it. Okay. I said I'm thankful to uh, get the Is honor and privilege to do this for Crystal. And so these are her words that she penned. As many of you know, these past two years have been anything but easy. There are many times that it would have been easier to say no, I'm done fighting, and give up. And in reality, there have been times that I have thought that more times than I'd like to admit. Miscarriage, infertility, and cancer by themselves are traumatic and hard to work through. But put all three together, and it seems impossible to make it out the other side of it all. There have been countless times through this season that I've been so furious with God, doubted, and turned back I find myself furious that there is not an answer that there is not an end, that there is so much God could do, but hasn't. And that's where I get frustrated. I've had to ask the hard questions. I've had to dig in where it wasn't easy to dig in. I've had to realize that even in the midst of so much heartache and unanswered prayers, that there are prayers that are being answered, just not the way I thought they would be. Because if I don't focus on this, I honestly think I would have given up by now. 
I'll be the first to admit to you that my foundation before this season was shaky. I grew up in church, but I didn't ever take the time to focus on building it rock by rock. I took comfort in knowing I had not had to dig in deep, that I was living comfortably, I was making it on my own accord. But when my world crashed, building that foundation became one of the most important things I could do. It became important to build that foundation to battle the lies that the world, Satan, and myself were telling me. It became important to continue to fight despite the rivers rising far above the banks and winds blowing endlessly. Standing on my faith through this season and building it up again after it was crumbling has given me the hope I need to keep fighting. The circumstances I am in now are not ideal and not something I would wish on anyone, but I have hope that this season will end, that there are better things on the other side of it all, and it's worth fighting through. I have hope that this season will be used for good. Maybe it's for a story to share with others. Maybe it's so I can find true, honest joy in the future. Maybe I'll never know the reason I'm trudging through this season. Even in the lies that feel more like truth, I know that God will not fail me in this season. He may not be fulfilling the prayers of miraculous healing, children, or an easy season, but he is fulfilling me in other ways and providing more than I ever could without him. All this to say, if you find yourself in a similar season of hurt and heartache, it's okay to doubt and take the time to slow down to question, strengthen your foundation, and keep fighting. There's so much hope out there that he is waiting to share with you right here, right in the middle of it all. Thank you, Crystal. Do you want to pray? Would you like to pray? Would you like to pray for her? Yeah, thank you. Well, let me, let me pray for us as we transition to sing. Uh, I invite you guys to stand. Father, thanks for Crystal's story and her courage to use her voice and to share that with us, even in a last-minute notice. And we do pray, we pray for Crystal right now, even, that you would strengthen her foundation, and of course we pray that you would cure the cancer, and that you would use her voice to impact many. And we pray for our church, that we would be people who build on your Son, Jesus Christ, and invite others to do the same. And I do pray for any who are questioning, and it sounds like a like a great story from Crystal, but but it, they're really hurting and struggling. I pray that even even now you might meet them as we sing together about how you how you will not fail, and you are our firm foundation. Amen. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.